This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. A lot of people try and turn themselves into pretzels to try and figure out, you know, who do I need to be for people to fall in love with me, for people to like me. But, you know, that can be really exhausting. Be yourself and find somebody who finds you hot and interesting for who you really are. Hi, I'm Jamie Buss, and I'm the publisher and editor-in-chief of The Tonic Magazine and producer and host of The Tonic Talk Show and Podcast. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll give you the scoop on poop with Joel Thuna. We'll learn about the post-COVID dating protocols with Carlisle Jansen. We'll discuss tips for growing a low-maintenance garden with Melissa Cameron. And lastly, we'll explore the rise of placebo medicine with David Nelson. But first, a little bit of business. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products on the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel is also a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine and a regular on the show, of course. Welcome back, sir. How are you? I am here. I am happy to be doing this live in person and actually seeing you. No screen. I know. (laughs) It's it's exciting. It's exciting. You get to gaze upon my beauty. And here we are, not to be cheeky, but I've been waiting to do this interview for seven years. You've been on my show every single month since we started, but we're going to talk about one of my favorite articles that you ever wrote for the magazine. I had to go back to 2015 for this one. It's all about poop. Okay. We're talking poop today, my friend. And I don't care if the listeners are shocked. I think it's important. And there may be some poop jokes who could say. For those who don't know or maybe have never cared to know, what is poop? Well, along the same lines, I found this really interesting because I actually had no idea before I researched this article. Much like most people, I never gave it much thought. I just went to the bathroom. Uh, Exactly. But a poop, which is clinically referred to as feces or stool, is comprised primarily of water. It's actually about 75% water. Add to that a combination of undigested food. Most people will think of corn, peanuts, Mm. peas, carrots, cereal grains, etc. As well as live and dead bacteria. And here's the really, really interesting part. Billions upon billions of live and billions upon billions of dead bacteria, fiber, mucus, and other miscellaneous cells. A lot going into poop. A lot more than I knew. Yeah, a lot more. (laughs) A lot more than probably anybody knew or cared to know. But, you know, we're all about the information here on the tonic. Okay, so I actually know the answer to this question. 
and I know you know because you researched it, but why is our poop brown? Poop is brown primarily because of the bile from your gallbladder being metabolized by the bacteria in your intestines. There are variations in color, which is influenced by the specifics of what you eat, as well as by the amount of bile in your poop, because all of us have different levels at different times. But it's also the bilirubin from your blood, too, isn't it? It's, it's the mixture of the red from the blood and the green from the bile that creates the brown, isn't it? Correct. But the big thing about it is it's the varying levels between them. Right. So different shades of brown. Right? <laughs> oh, I'm terrible. <laughs> but, you know, some from time to time, poop is other colors, right? Like, and that may or may not signify an issue, correct? Correct. Most colors shouldn't cause you to worry at all. That is, unless your stool is bright red or dark black. And the reason you should be concerned is that could be, repeat, could be an indication of the presence of blood. But don't panic. Okay. Just monitor because what you eat can also cause this. Right. For example, black licorice, blueberry sometimes, some iron supplements, beets, tomatoes, and even the red dye found in foods can cause this. But here's a big but if your poop is bright green or bright yellow, that is something completely different. That could be caused by excess undigested fats. And if you see that, go back into your diet, into your memory and go, okay, have I had anything that's high fat? If you hadn't, odds are pretty good it's from food dye or something like that. But if you've had high fat recently, you're going to want to talk to your doctor because that shouldn't happen. It really shouldn't. Right. I'm just asking for a friend. If you have rainbow colored poo, you know, what does that mean? I can actually speak from experience on this one. My son had that once in his life. Okay, I was just joking. But oh, no, he actually had it. What ended up happening is my wife caved, and on a vacation, we allowed him to have a very funky type of ice cream. Okay. And it was the food dyes in the ice cream because he was so excited, and it was a trip, and it was fascinating. Yeah. His digestion just went really fast, so the dyes came out undigested, and it scared the living out of us. <laughs> Oh, my God. So we monitored and found, okay, it was just one time, done. <laughs> okay. All right. So, you know, I don't like using the N-word on my show, and it's not the N-word that everybody's thinking of. It's the word normal, right? Because it's such a loaded word, right? <laughs> oh, definitely. But is there such a thing as a normal bowel movement? The answer is no. There isn't. There is no generally accepted clinical, air quotes here, Definition for normal. If you have anywhere from three bowel movements a day to three a week, it can be considered in the normal range. And it varies from person to person. It varies from time to time. The best way for you to detect any problem is to notice a change in your normal. Right. Your bowel movements are unique to you. And if you see a change, and it's temporary, okay, who cares? Right. But if you see a change, it's dramatic and it's prolonged, that's when you want to have chats with specialists. So you're saying like poops are like snowflakes, right? <laughs> That's what you're saying? Kind of. <laughs> all, but, each one is different and special in its own way and yeah. unique to you, right? But you have to remember also, poop is complex in the fact that it's easily affected by many things. Infections, right. medication, your mood, stress, the weather, yep. changes in diet, liquid intake, exercise, and just your general environment. Right. And when you have that many things that affect it, it can change. Right. 
we're going to go TMI time here. Too much information. You know, you know, I, I do my oatmeal thing every morning, right? Yep. But what that also means is I am very regular. It mm-hmm. is like clockwork. And, you know, it always shocks me when you said normal could be three times a day or three times a week. I'm thinking, okay, that is not normal for me at all. So it is surprising for me to hear that, actually. I mean, I, I'll take your word for it. I believe you. It's just, to me, normal's like one a day. If that's your normal, that's perfectly fine. Okay. But if you want TMI, I can go down that road and join you in that. My usual breakfast is one of two things. Either I have oatmeal like you yeah. or I have fruit salad and yogurt. Right. The funny thing is I can actually track what I had what yeah. day based on my bowel movement. Yeah, I hear you. Same thing. You know, we're probably freaking out the listeners, so let's move on. <laughs> so so let's talk about some poops that are outside normal and can occur and obviously are indicative of, of other issues. And the first is diarrhea. Yeah. So, so what is it and... Fill us in. Give us the scoop on it. (laughs) Not a problem. Simply stated, diarrhea is when the food and fluids you ingest go through you too quickly. And what happens is they don't spend enough time in the area of your digestive tract that absorbs water from your diet. That's simply it. The lack of water absorption can result from stomach viruses, foodborne infections, excessive spices, food allergies, intolerance, or actually just poor dietary habits, period. Okay, so you're saying that, that having poor dietary habits would inhibit your body from properly getting the fluids or the water out of your, your intestines? Like- Potentially. If you have, for example, a highly processed diet, yeah. your body's not designed to absorb nutrients from that or to digest it. So if it's something that it's not used to or isn't prepared to take, it just pushes it along. Okay. All right. On the other end of the spectrum is constipation. So what is that technically and and what's the cause? Constipation is defined, this one has a clinical definition, when you have infrequent bowel movements or if you have to strain or have difficulty passing stool. In this case, it's the actual reversal of diarrhea. Here, your poop has not enough water in it and it makes it difficult for your body to move it through you. Okay. Now, the big thing is everyone gets diarrhea and constipation sometimes. Right. Every single one of us. As long as it's infrequent and doesn't cause pain or impact your lifestyle, it's nothing to worry about. But if it is frequent or it causes pain or difficulty in enjoying life, you want to have a chat. All right. That's interesting. Can you sort of put the digestive process into perspective. So let's say we had oatmeal for breakfast. Give me a what's next. Like, let's take it from top to bottom. How long does it take and what's going on? Well, digestion of any one specific thing, if you're healthy, can take anywhere from 24 to 72 hours. And what ends up happening is it's a multi-stage process that involves the interconnected and interreliance of practically every system inside you and your brain. And that's very important. Your brain plays an active role in digestion. Most people do not know that. Now, what ends up happening is your substance, whatever it is, in your case, oatmeal gets in you, goes down, you chew it. That's an active part of digestion. Chewing is very important. You swallow it. Then acids get involved. They break in parts. Then you have enzymes that get involved, digestive juices. It all gets broken apart into really, really small, really small almost a semi-fluid kind of goop. (laughs) And that goop starts getting pushed through your gut. And as it reaches different places in your gut, 
different things interact with it. And those things, essentially, you're talking enzymes, chemical processes, and it's actually interactions between different things as well. It's not just one enzyme takes care of this. It's multiple things have to work together to get it done right. And at the same time, your body is pushing through in the gut your waste at the same time. So you're having absorption of good things and the pushing out of bad things until finally it gets down to the other end where it goes out into the toilet and becomes poop. Excellent. Top to bottom. <laughs> All right. So we've explained the process and we've explained what it means if the process isn't working properly, if you're having difficulties. Let's talk about some of the things that we can do to aid the digestion process. Where do you want to start? Start with one of my favorites, which is fiber. Most people, and I know this because we've been talking and researching fiber for literally decades. If you ask the average person out there, they'll say, yep, I get enough fiber. Oh, I'm doing great. I get enough fiber. But they don't. Ask someone who's a vegetarian or a vegan and oh my gosh, it is like you swore at them in a bad way. (laughs) Now, clinically speaking, you're supposed to get, depending on your health, anywhere from 25 to 38 grams of fiber a day. Now, when you actually take the surveys out there, it's found that the average Canadian intake is below 14 grams a day. The average person who has a, quote, high fiber, vegetarian or vegan diet is getting a whopping 16 grams a day. Yep. So well below requirements. And what happens if you do that is you're just not giving your body the tools it needs to function properly. Now, you have to remember there's two different kinds of fiber. You have soluble and insoluble. Mm -hmm. Insoluble is the one that acts like a broom and pushes through stuff through you. But soluble is the one that actually works to regulate the fecal moisture content. So prevents constipation, prevents diarrhea, helps keep you happy. So what you want to do is make sure you get both in adequate amounts every day. Don't just get one. It's almost impossible, and I repeat, it is almost impossible to get enough from food every day. Sure, you might get it done some days, but most days, not going to happen. It's recommended that you go with high-fiber foods on a regular basis, as well as an easy-to-take supplement. I recommend Fiberific. Excellent. What else can we do? The next one is to do a combination of prebiotics and probiotics. Now, I'm sure most of the audience has heard of probiotics. Those are the live bacteria that help you in many ways, digestion, immune system, handle stress, etc. But many of them won't know about prebiotics. And what prebiotics are are specialty fibers that your body doesn't digest but act as a food for probiotics. And the, the reason they're important to take together is if you take probiotics and don't have enough prebiotics for them, they just die. You need them to keep them happy and surviving and thriving and helping you. And much like fiber, it is recommended that you take it daily. And the reason you want to do that is your body is constantly having a battle between good and bad bacteria inside your gut. You want to make sure that you give the good bacteria an extra bit of ammunition every day. Yep. Okay, so the next one we're going to talk about is one that I have issues with. I'm told I don't drink nearly enough as I should. It's water, right? you got to have tons and tons and tons and tons of water. If you think you're taking enough, up it by 50%. Yep. And the reason is water is, if you think about it from a health plan economics, it is the cheapest and easiest health insurance you're ever going to find. Essentially, all you're doing is giving your body the tool it needs to keep yourself hydrated, your body working, your fluids optimal. And at the same time, here's the really important part, everything running 
think of it almost as almost a grease. You're yep. greasing your machine, making sure it doesn't squeak, etc. But you're doing that for your internal organs. Okay. Let's talk about lifestyle for a second. What you want to do is, as you and I have preached for since we've known each other, yep. a balanced diet filled with fresh foods, a variety of them. And at the same time, you also want to make sure you get physical exercise. Yep. Many people don't see the link between physical exercise and healthy bowel habits, but it is there. The more you exercise within reason, don't hurt yourself, the better off your digestion will be. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. To read Joel's many articles in The Tonic Magazine, please visit thetonic.ca. Joel, uh, if they want more information about Purely Natural, where do they go? Purely, that's P-U-R-E-L-E dot C-A. Fantastic. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss post-COVID dating tips with Carlisle Jansen on The Tonic. Suffering with pain or arthritis? Having trouble sleeping due to stress and anxiety? Understand the benefits of medical cannabis science. Optican CB4 relief soft gels are formulated with patented Vesisorb pharmaceutical technology and are clinically proven to deliver four and a half times more CBD into your bloodstream three times faster than conventional CBD capsules. That's reliable relief in a nutshell and in an Optican soft gel. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist and sign up at Optican with two ends.ca. Ever wonder if your probiotics are really working for you? To get their full benefits, probiotics must survive harsh stomach acid and get into your intestines alive. Clinical studies prove that enteric coating guarantees safe intestinal delivery of live, active probiotic cells. New Roots Herbal offers a range of GPS enteric-coated probiotics formulated to meet your specific needs. Available exclusively at fine health food stores, find them in the refrigerated section. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Carlisle Jansen is a sex therapist and founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality store and workshop center. She's the author of two books, including Sex Yourself, and you can find her educational videos and TED Talk at carlislejansen.com. She can be contacted at carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to the show, Carlisle. How are you? I'm well, thanks. It's always great to be here. Yeah, always great to have you on the show. So I am out of my element. <laughs> I have to tell you, I've been, uh, you know, Na- yeah, Naomi and I have been together a very, very long time. We started, uh, da- yeah, we started dating when she was 18 and I was 20. So we're looking at, I'm not even going to say, I'm not going to out her as to how old she is. And you guys yep. can do the math. It's been a long time. I'm a little rusty. And I know that a lot of people are thinking about this now that we're sort of moving forward culturally. We're not... We're not all bogged down in, in lockdown. So you got some dating tips for us? I do. I do. And, you know, it's something a lot of people have questions about. A lot of people are concerned about. And, you know, some people have been dating all along sure. through COVID and others have been doing it more sporadically. 
some people have broken up more recently. Yep. You know, COVID was not something that helped their relationship. It, it showed the real cracks that were there or for whatever reason. So a lot of people are dating again after a hiatus for whatever reason. So people have questions about dating and about sex and safer sex and how does it all happen? Okay, that's why you're here. So <laughs> let's go with your very first tip, like off the top. What do you think is the most important thing for people to think about? I think you just need to be yourself. A lot of people try and turn themselves into pretzels to try and figure out, you know, who do I need to be for people to fall in love with me, for people to like me. But, you know, that can be really exhausting. Be yourself and find somebody who finds you hot and interesting for who you really are. So share what your likes are, your dislikes are, your quirks, your bottom lines, your boundaries. And you can really do this you know, from the beginning to really show who you are. Now, you know, you don't want to open yourself up to everything. Right. You don't want to be completely vulnerable. And that's what sometimes people do at the beginning. They're like, I'm going to open up everything. That's when we get hurt. So just kind of pace your vulnerability, how much you share of yourself. Be really honest. If somebody says something, but then there's something inconsistent later, like, really? Like, I don't really understand that, you know? Or inquire about their weaknesses, their strengths. You know, how would you deal with a certain situation if, you know, somebody else was, you know, dating two people at the same time? Or if you found out this about your partner, that they couldn't orgasm or whatever, right? Ask them about different things and be yourself in your answers as well. Okay, so most people who know me know I'm a blunt instrument. Fabulous. Yeah, for some and for other people, (laughs) you you know, like, sure, you know, I'm an acquired taste, I think. And so, like, communication is always important. Yeah. But, you know, should we all be as candid as Jamie? I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think it depends on what we're talking about. So, for example, when you're talking about what you want, I think you need to be really upfront because there's no point in saying that you're looking for something casual, right? Then you meet someone who's looking for casual, and then you're disappointed because actually you're looking for it to develop into something long-term. Right. You know, are you monogamous or are you into consensual non-monogamy? Do you want kids? And even if you're waffling, okay, say that you're waffling. You know, what does your future look like? It saves yourself a lot of time, a lot of energy, and realistically some heartache if you're not really clear about what you want. So I think that's a great place to be really blunt with other people. So I think also, though, we we need to keep some things private. So there are people who are going to be stalkers, unfortunately, people who don't take no for an answer. So you have to, you can be blunt, but you can also not reveal everything about where you work, where you live. And don't post photos that show those kinds of things, like standing in front of your workplace where they can figure that out. And make sure if you're going, you know, they say like, hey, send me some sexy photos. You don't know this person, so you don't know where they're going to send them. Don't have anything in your photos, especially if they're going to be sexy, that have anything identifiable about tattoos or birthmarks or your face or unique piercings, right? That you would be embarrassed that other people would see. Yep. All right. So if we're going out there, how would you recommend we get started? What do we do? So you want to start with, obviously, you know, either messaging on an app 
app or, you know, some people are going out to bars. Some people are now being set up on dates with friends. You're meeting people through work or, you know, your sports team or whatever. But if you're meeting them sort of more online, start with phone and video dates. Kind of get to know them from the comfort of your home, especially if you're meeting them online. This saves a lot of time, right? Because it takes a lot of time to get ready, to go out, to meet someone somewhere. And sometimes you know within the first three minutes, oh, this is not going to work. So do it from home at first, and you can get a sense of who they are. Talk about consent, talk about your boundaries, what's important to you. And, you know, for a lot of people, this is actually really like foreplay. This is really sexy when you start talking about what you're looking for and what turns you on and what's sexy. And be really clear, though, if you're getting into those conversations, that there's no recording, that there's no screenshots or anything if you're, you know, getting into anything a little more down and dirty. So start out on the phone. And then if you decide that you want to meet them or maybe you've already met them, go somewhere that's safe, that's outdoors, meet them where there's other people around, you know, decide maybe you want to be masked when you meet them. Uh, You want to be able to distance yourself. So you want to make sure that it's a place where you can leave if you need to and where you can feel safe in a COVID sense as well and you can feel comfortable there. Yep. Okay, so you've raised some sort of concerns that you might have for on safety issues and, and the like. How does one differentiate between, you know, red flags, which you should be looking out for, and maybe nervousness and sort of paranoia when things are, are more neutral than you're actually perceiving. Yeah. So, you know, the, the fear of dating again, F-O-D-A, yeah. is real. Yeah, for sure. And especially if it's been a long time, it's really hard to think about going out there again. So you might have little somersaults going on in your stomach, like, oh, meeting someone, or when you're talking to them or thinking about it. So sometimes that's just that fear of dating in general. Right. Sometimes it's a red flag saying, ah, there's something off about this person, right? Mm-hmm. It might be that they're saying something that feels incongruent or they're pressuring you or they're really into you really quickly and you're like, wow, I barely have known you. You've only seen one photo and now you want to move in. You know, they're asking you for financial assistance they're like oh you know what i'll pay you back or you know wanting money trying to sell products to you pyramid schemes yeah pyramid schemes for sure asking for naked photos before you've actually really been sexual together or they're sort of being harassing you're saying you know if you really were committed to this process you do this they're threatening they're intimidating they're being offensive and especially if you said to them like look i'm not comfortable or please stop doing that Those are all things to be like, okay, you know what? It's not worth it. Let's just cut this person off and really pay attention to your gut around these things. If you're not sure whether it's just your fear or whether, you know, if you're you're questioning your judgment, talk to somebody else, especially who's a veteran dater, to really get clarity so you can feel really good about, am I just running away or is there something to be concerned about here? Okay, so let's say you've moved to the next stage, which is, you know, uh, you've done the videos, you've done the phone calls, and you're meeting somebody in person. What are some good rules of thumb for safety in that context? Yeah. Um, so tell someone where you're going. Um, yeah, that's a good And idea. so that somebody knows where you are. Minimize your drugs and alcohol. 
because we are, our judgment is impaired. And of course, unfortunately, especially if you leave your alcohol unattended or any drink, really, someone can put something in it. Mm-hmm. So be really, really careful about if you leave anything on your own. And then you need to, you know, if you think, you know, that you want to spend time indoors, you need to talk a little bit about COVID. You want to talk a bit about safety. Are you comfortable going indoors with someone? Where do they work? Where do they hang out? What kinds of daily practices do they have? Is the risk that they're taking in their exposure okay for you? Or does it feel a little bit too risky? And then, of course, we need to talk about safer sex. Yep. Um, This is a really important and hard conversation for a lot of people because we don't get good practice at it. So we need to, you know, get ourselves tested. Even if you haven't had a lot of sex, get tested so that you know your status. Because sometimes we actually have STIs that we're not aware of. Hmm. And one thing a lot of people don't know about is that many of us have herpes and we don't even know it. 66% of people under 50 probably have herpes, which is mouth herpes, but it can be on the genitals. And just because you have an STI doesn't mean that you can't have a great sex life. You need to get knowledgeable, know how to protect yourself, protect other people, get yourself vaccinated against things like HPV and Hep B if you aren't already, and get to know what are ways that you can prevent transmission, condoms, dental dams, gloves, There's great information you can get online from places like the Hassle-Free Clinic so that you can feel confident about protecting yourself and your partner. Great advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's always a pleasure. That was Carlisle Jansen. For more information about Carlisle, visit carlislejansen.com. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Suffering with pain or arthritis? Having trouble sleeping due to stress and anxiety? Understand the benefits of medical cannabis science. Optican CB4 relief soft gels are formulated with patented Bezosorb pharmaceutical technology and are clinically proven to deliver four and a half times more CBD into your bloodstream three times faster than conventional CBD capsules. That's reliable relief in a nutshell and in an Optican soft gel. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist and sign up at OptiCan2Ns.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Melissa Cameron is an organic master gardener and founder of The Good Seed, a garden education and design company. She's been featured on websites such as Farmer's Footprint, Florida, and Toronto Life, and is a regular garden contributor for the Canadian Vegan Magazine. The Good Seed specializes in organic edible gardens, pollinator and native garden plantings, and sustainable cut flower garden designs. In addition, she's the co-founder of the Abermory Garden Collective, a not-for-profit 
that grows organic food and donates it to families with young children facing food insecurity. For more information, you can visit thegoodseedgarden.com. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jamie. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. So we're going to title this segment, Gardening for the Lazy Gardener, okay? (laughs) Okay, let's do it. (laughs) And now you're in my territory, okay? Because okay. I, I've created a space and I've got, you know, like I've got, you know, 40 by 130. So by Toronto standards, a pretty big property. Right. And uh, I've done some things to make my life easy because I'm responsible for my garden. I don't hire it out. I do it myself. So I think we're going to discuss the low maintenance garden. How would you define it? So for me, a low maintenance garden is one that's characterized by very little intervention. So maybe that's what you're talking about as in lazy. I'll call it low intervention. So I like to think about it sort of as set it and forget it. Yep. And so these are gardens that are not going to require a lot of pruning and deadheading and harvesting or staking. And they're also going to have manageable water requirements. And typically I would say are comprised more of perennial plants rather than annual plants. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I was joking. I always, you know, I'm glass half empty guy. So I, you know, I was joking calling people lazy, but yeah, your, your approach is much more palatable. I was talking about the fact that I, ripped, I I got tired of weeding, so I ripped out every shred of grass on my property, and everything has ground cover of various types, whether it's mulch or, or pebbles or plants or spreading plants, but no grass. So no lawnmower, nothing like that. No grass. I'm a, I'm a, a no-grass aficionado. I like it. I explain to people is grass is not native to here, right? Or the type of grass that people want, right? The Kentucky bluegrass is not native to here and it's not easy to maintain. So Do you know what? Grass is really hard to grow. It is. When people tell me they can't grow plants, I'm like, if you can grow a lawn, listen, yeah. it's a monoculture. The root system is very difficult to manage. Yeah. Lots of things pop up. So I agree. Let's get rid of grass. All right. Okay. Now that we're in agreement, okay. let's talk about the type of people for whom the low maintenance garden is, is suited for. Okay. So besides you and me, (laughs) these gardens are really best suited for people who, for instance, travel, who have cottages, and who are maybe not super confident in their garden abilities. Um, But they're also great for people who have mobility issues and still want to have a great garden. Yeah. So really a wide range of people. And I think... You know, we see a lot of people who go to the cottage over the summer, right, but still want to have a beautiful garden. So how do you sort of get that balance? And uh, and I like that challenge. Okay, so I suppose if you're, you know, on the one hand, I'm thinking, okay, if I'm having a low-maintenance garden, you mentioned the type of plants that don't require a lot of fuss, but I'm sure there's more to it than that, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think, you know, we're really talking about reducing the amount of labor in the garden. Yeah. And so we want to invest in some simple systems. So irrigation, first off, greatly reduces the need for you to be in the garden on a regular basis. And the good news is that the modern and newer irrigation systems are quite easy to use and program. You know, it used to be that you needed to read this huge technical book and sort of understand many different parts, but they're really pretty dumbed down right now. And I think they're a great investment if you are looking to sort of step back from watering your space. Mm -hmm. I would also say investing in things like edging to keep that definition between the garden bed and if it's your pebble path or your grass, you know, that's going to keep things looking neater, more defined. And of course, mulch, which is something that's going to help suppress weeds and create a nice aesthetic. What are your feelings on the garden cloth? 
Because when I was designing my garden, I started there, right? Because that's a great weed barrier. If you're, if you're having, like I have significant problems, like bags and bags of dandelions. I'm not going to rat out the previous owner of the house, but like they just let everything go. So by the time I got in there, it was a disaster. What do you think? So I am not a fan okay. of landscape fabric, and I'll tell you why. Okay. It's just, it goes back to the soil. So that really complex, beautiful ecology below the surface of your garden, which is the soil food web, is really what creates that resilience in your garden and the strength of the plant. And when we put down that landscape fabric, we're creating a physical barrier between a lot of those organisms and your plant systems. So I don't mind using some hardscaping cloth under a pathway, Yeah, but I don't use landscape fabric in my practice. Okay, fair enough. What type of plants do you consider to be low maintenance? Sure. So again, it comes down to intervention. Looking at a low maintenance plant, I'm looking at something that isn't going to require my attention a lot during the season. So let's look at deadheading, for instance. That's the practice of sort of cutting back bent blooms. And it's a bit of a divisive topic in the gardening realm. So plants like bee balm and echinacea, which is also known as coneflower, are super beautiful and low maintenance. Um, They don't strictly require deadheading although many gardeners like to cut back the spent blooms just for the aesthetic appeal. Yep. And then from an ecological standpoint, letting your blooms go to seed can have some advantages. Mm-hmm. So something that would be considered a little bit more low maintenance would be a plant like a sedum. A fern requires very little work. And, of course, you mentioned it, plants that act as ground cover or living mulch in your garden. So we see a lot of creeping thyme, for instance, creeping jenny. Uh, We also see people who like to invest in edible plants that are very low maintenance. And for those, you know, if you think about a perennial herb, thyme, oregano, really very just low intervention. Yeah. I I mean, those herbs, for example, the chives, the thyme, they all do. You know, if you can put them in a space where they don't overrun the garden like mint can, it's great. You know, the carpeting thyme is like one of those plants. I have a love-hate relationship with it. I have it in the front. (laughs) So I have all this gorgeous black mulch. And then when it blooms in spring, it's gorgeous purple, right? And then at some point in the summer, there's like a tipping point where it just kind of looks cruddy and brown. And whether it's watered or not, it just like, it's great for like four weeks. And then, uh, so I love my time and it's still there and I haven't taken it out, but I don't know about it. I hear you. What about edible plants? So you can definitely grow an edible garden with lower maintenance crops. So think about onions, for instance. Again, really that set it and forget it mentality. We talked about herbs just before now. And then there's some perennial edible plants that are pretty low maintenance. One of the shrubs I like to put in gardens is service berry. Mm -hmm. And that's also known as a Saskatoon berry for some people. And they have beautiful early blooms, early berries. The leaves turn a lovely color. But really, if you don't want to harvest the berries, the birds will for you very pretty plant. You can also look at long season greens in the edible garden. Mm-hmm. So kale, and there's lots of different kinds of kale, Russian red, lacinato. That's my go-to, the Tuscan kale, the lacinato, the dinosaur yeah. kale. It's, it's yeah. easy peasy and it's great in soups and salads. It's great. Right. Collards. And those, you know, you can sow them early in the spring, all the way through the fall. Yep. Lots of, you know, great nutrition right there. You can harvest them, eat them raw, you can cook them. So those are my go-tos for low-maintenance veg. Okay. So what about the non-edible plants? Do you have some favorites you might recommend for people? I do. 
So we talked about the ground cover, and one of the ground covers I really like, I'm sure I've mentioned it on the show before, is Sweet Woodruff. Yep. So it grows a little bit taller than the typical ground cover, but it's beautiful, it spreads well, it's got lovely little white flowers, Yep. and you can also use it medicinally for teas. Yep. Uh, We just talked about sedums, and one of the varieties that's quite pretty is Autumn Joy. Mm Mm-hmm. And sedums, you know, the foliage is more cactus-like almost, and the blooms, you can keep them over winter as sort of winter interest. I really like ornamental sage, Mm -hmm. so lots of different kinds, Russian sage, also under the name salvia, purple blooms, really pretty, can grow quite large as well. So if you're trying to fill a space, it's a great one. If you're looking for a bright pop of color, Coreopsis is a pretty easy, low-maintenance plant. And that gives you that pretty yellow, bright, sunshiny burst of color. And then I really like Yarrow. It's super drought-tolerant, very pretty colors, pastel colors if you like, white colors if you like. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, if you want to sow something that's just kind of wild and cottage garden-y like, Cosmos do very well in poor soil. So even if you have a garden where you haven't amended the soil and it's a little bit crappy, sow some Cosmos, they'll grow large and bushy, kind of take over, but look really whimsical and lovely. Fantastic. We have time for one last question, and that is, are there any plants you should avoid if you're going for a low-maintenance garden? I have an idea, but you go ahead. Okay. Roses, some varieties can be quite uh, high-maintenance. Yep. Dahlias, you know, Start to finish, high-maintenance plant. Beautiful blooms, but very difficult. And, of course, tomatoes. They require a lot of staking and pruning, and those are mine. What were yours? Raspberries, because they just, like, if you're not constantly monitoring them, they will take over your garden. So raspberries and mint, that's right. There are quite a few that just love to spread. Yep. Cool. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Jimmy. That was Melissa Cameron. To learn more about Melissa, please visit thegoodseedgarden.com. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Ever wonder if your probiotics are really working for you? To get their full benefits, probiotics must survive harsh stomach acid and get into your intestines alive. Clinical studies prove that enteric coating guarantees safe intestinal delivery of live, active probiotic cells. New Roots Herbal offers a range of GPS enteric-coated probiotics formulated to meet your specific needs. Available exclusively at fine health food stores, find them in the refrigerated section. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. 
purely natural liquid greens. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. David Nelson is a fellow at Invivo Planetary Health, a part of the Nova Institute for Health of People, Places, and Planet, located in Baltimore, Maryland. He attended the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine and is a health, food, retail, and wellness service business owner. He's written numerous academic articles and currently has one in preprint, establishing the importance of the acid-alkaline balance of the foods we eat. And he lives in Woodstock with his family. Welcome back to the show, David. How are you? Good, Jamie. Good. Thank you for having me back on the show. This is great. Yeah. You know, the reason we bring you on is you use words that I don't know. And that makes you like unique because I like I'm pretty close to knowing everything. And when you when you when you come up with these new ideas, I actually find it really intriguing. And you're the new idea guy. Well, that's awesome. I I, I love doing that. And I think it's just I'm curious. Yeah, me too. It's an important habit to have to be curious. I agree. So today we're going to talk about placebos. And I actually do know what a placebo is. But for those who don't, what is a placebo? Yeah, so a placebo, I'm going to give you two different definitions. One is a a general understanding, and then there's the dictionary definition. So I'll do the dictionary definition first. It comes from the original Greek meaning, I will please. And then in common uh, language, we think that a placebo is something with no therapeutic value physically that has a psychological effect that has a physical effect. Right. So it has no therapeutic value but it has it ends up having an effect. I would say it has no measurable therapeutic value. It has no measurable therapeutic value. That's right. Right. Okay. So it doesn't have any any sort of physical attributes of placebo, but it it actually affects us mentally because it makes us think that like it's like taking a pill you think it's going to make you feel better and then it ends mm-hmm. up doing it, right? Isn't that sort of the classic example? Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe I'll add in one more definition and then we can compare them. Okay. Uh, nocebo is the opposite of placebo. Placebo is the positive part. Nocebo is the negative part. In that dictionary definition is I will harm. Right. So some things can have a positive or a negative effect, but placebos generally are seen to have positive. So what happens here is it's called expectation of outcome. Right. What we think it's going to do, taste like, make us feel like, whether it's hot or cold, whether it's any of those things, will create an environment in our minds and our bodies to meet the expectation. Okay? So that kind of sounds strange. It's almost like it's all in your head. Well, it turns out that that's actually partially true, and I'll explain it to you, because some of your audience might be saying, how can what we think change, like, our biology? How can what Uh. I think change my biology. That doesn't make any sense. Well, it does, because you know someone likely that this is affecting right now. And it's that thing called white coat syndrome. Mm -hmm. So what is that? Yeah. When you go into a doctor's office, and normally you think about this in terms of blood pressure, they're taking your blood pressure The fact that they are wearing a white coat, you're in their office, and you have a blood pressure cuff on your arm, and they're filling it up. Good sound effect, yeah. What happens? Your blood pressure is artificially high when you have white coat syndrome because you're nervous, scared, or don't want to know the outcome. Right. Well, nothing's really changed. It's just your environment and what you think about being there, and that raises your blood pressure. 
So that's, that's something you can look up. Your audience can look that up. What you think about being in the doctor's office can change your blood pressure. So what's interesting about this, Jamie, yeah. is that blood pressure, then, if you look at other literature, stress or what you think about your life can raise your blood pressure, too. So we see this placebo effect in many different ways. Can I talk about uh, some studies that have been done with caffeine and alcohol? Because they're kind of fun. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I want, I want some more tangible examples. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. So the caffeine example, that's Alia Crum from Stanford. And so what she did is she made this water that was like energy water, okay? Mm-hmm. But there was no caffeine in it. It's just half the water had the label of water with caffeine. Right. The other water had no caffeine label on it. It was caffeine-free. Mm-hmm. But none of the water had caffeine. And they gave it to people, and here's the interesting thing about it. No one got caffeine, but a statistically relevant number, and it, and it ranges in between 18 and 25%, depending upon how many people and the collaboration of, the, uh, of what are called Confederates, because they helped to make the story more true. Right. People exhibit increased heart rate. Their pupils dilate. Uh, they have more energy. They feel more creative. Here's the other one with alcohol. Nobody had booze in the bar. It all just tasted like it. And the study looked at whether or not people exhibited characteristics of being intoxicated. And they did. They had lower impulse control. They were more libaceous. They were more talkative, more social. But they only tasted a drink that tasted like alcohol. And because they had consumed alcohol in the past, they had an expectation of what it would make them feel like. And so they did. Let me ask you a question. You may not know the answer to this. Is there a certain personality type that is more likely to have these placebo effects impact them? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. And the answer is yes, there is. The specific data on that, I can't tell you right now because I I, I would like to back it up by the actual data. Yeah. But there is um, in Europe, actually. So in Europe, they started something called the Society for Interdisciplinary Placebo Studies. It's called SIPS. Mm -hmm. And I've been a member uh, since about 2017. So they're placebo researchers, so PhDs in labs all around the world looking at the placebo effect. And they're, are, they're doing research right now on susceptibility to the placebo effect. Right. Who is susceptible, what type of personalities, ages, genders, levels of education, and socioeconomic status. Because the placebo effect, again, can also be used for negative things, right. too. Yeah. Um, and marketing uses a lot of those things. That's another reason why people are looking at it. Like the red pill and the blue pill, Jamie, it's a real thing. Red pills make you feel more alert when you take them. Blue pills make you feel more somnolescent or sleepy when you take them. Right. Uh, two pills work better than one pill. Branded pills work better than non-branded pills. If your audience is interested, there's a great YouTube video called uh, The Strange Effects of uh, the Placebo, and it's on YouTube, and it showcases a lot of these things, and you can see the real medical outcomes, which is why medicine and scientists are looking at this. How can we not use drugs but get drug-like effects? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I came at it from a different way because I am a very critical thinker. It's how I was trained. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just because somebody gave me something and told me it was caffeine, I wouldn't necessarily believe it was. And I don't I'd like to believe that the placebo effect would be less effective on me. I don't know whether that's true or not. But in my head, I'm imagining somebody who's a little more weak minded being affected by it. 
I, I, maybe I'm wrong. And, I, I don't know. No, no, no. I, I don't think that you're wrong. I think that what you're talking about is that you probably are a person who makes rational decisions based on multiple intersecting lines of information. Yes. And the placebo effect seems to affect people in a way where you have less multiple intersecting lines of information with a high level of trustworthiness yeah. or arousal in the subject, whoever that is, whether it's the doctor or the box of, you know, something that's selling you that this is going to give you more energy and it's red and it has a lightning bolt on it. Like all of those things are intentional to increase the outcome. But you and I are similar. I, I don't take things like that. I'm like, well, you know, I know this and this and this and this from multiple different places. However, the placebo effect applies to um, things like environments, too. So I don't know if you're aware, um, but uh, park prescriptions are really gaining traction in Canada. Mm-hmm. And so nature exposure. So, I mean, if you just want to throw in how can you use the placebo effect to your benefit, like how does your audience do this right now? Sure. Getting out in nature. You feel that nature will provide a stress relief. There's not as many distractions and arousal opportunities in nature, no screens and loud noises and, you know, bright signs and lights. And so you go there and you do feel better. There's an expectation that nature is going to make you feel better, and then there's the environment by which nature does make you feel better. So placebo medicine is really being studied in hospitals to increase the outcome of things like surgery. So that means, like, if you have a park to go to and you think that it's going to make you feel better, Will it shorten your recovery time? And the answer seems to be yes. Hmm. Okay. And I suppose that's without judgment, right? Yeah. I don't want to seem like I'm being judgmental about it. I mean, if, if it helps. Not if it, at it, all. I just think that you raise a good point that educating people can actually make them. What you're talking about, Jamie, is the nocebo effect, like the negative consequences right. of, of so. these things. So yeah. That goes along with disinformation, misinformation, propaganda, and everything else. We right. have to be careful about that. But we can also use the positive side of the placebo effect so that we meet the expectation of our outcome, like or the outcome of our expectation and get healthier. We have time for one last question. Where's the science going with this? Where do you see it going? Yeah. So the science of interdisciplinary placebo studies are showing that there is a relationship with the placebo from everything from IBS to cancer to inflammation to mental health. So you will see a lot of information on this in the future. And they're even questioning how they design the placebo in clinical trials to make sure that they're getting it right. Hmm. Well, that's uh, super interesting. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely, Jamie. Thanks for having me again. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Joel Thuna, Carlisle Jansen, Melissa Cameron, and David Nelson. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The May-June issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.